It's very intriguing to me today. When you think about the word worship, I wonder what you think about, how English word worship. I want to just take you back to the Greek word. And I want you to just think about this. And uh, it, it reminds me a little bit about an incident a couple of Sundays ago when I was preaching out in Milmerin. Last week I was at uh, Milwaukee. I'm here with you today. And uh, so on. But uh, I said to a guy, well, uh, he came in to shake my hands. I've known him for a number of years. I said, I'll oh, forget that. I gave him a big Sonnegal bear hug. And uh, then he stepped back a bit and looked at me. And he said, whoa, he says, only my dad's really ever hugged me. And I said, well, yeah, now you've got an added one. And I said, you're just very fortunate we take, don't take the next step. And uh, he said, what's that? He said, well, in the Bible it says to give each other a holy kiss. He said, woo, 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 and he stepped back three more paces. So don't worry, you're safe today, you'll be right. But when you think of worship, think about it for a moment. It comes from a Greek word, proskuneo, P-R-S-K-U-N-E-O. And the word pros means to move towards, move towards. And the word cuneo means to kiss. So when you worship God this morning, I was waiting when Nathan said that you're all ready to worship God, you're all wide awake. I was waiting for you all to run forward wanting to kiss. That's what worship means. You are so passionate about God that you want to run towards him just like a little child runs towards his dad and you want to kiss him. Is that unnatural for a child? And the beautiful thing of the scriptures is that unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, the scripture says. But don't underestimate the power of that word, the child, because you always remain a kid. I'm just a big kid, and as someone said, if the little kid in you dies, shoot yourself. You know, there's a little child in all of us. We've got to realize it. And that, that you're a child of the king. And he wants you to act as a child, come in your simplicity, and to be able to run towards him and kiss him. That's what the word worship means in the Greek. And that's very intriguing. I had the amazing privilege a few weeks ago, probably just over a month now, of being in Newcastle. And there when I was there, I had the privilege of having 60 to 70 men for a retreat. Wow, I deem that a privilege. You get 60 or 70 men together, and they range in age from uh, late teens right through until 70 years of age. And they were there when I arrived. Uh, you may have heard of the Tarley Bible College. It used to run, it's just a little bit south of Tarley in New South Wales. And I'd never been there before in my life. I'd heard a lot about it over the years. And I rocked up there. They, I was running late. The guy who picked me up was running late. I got in there and there was a room, uh, probably not quite as big as this, set up with coffee tables, dim lights, the guys were strumming their guitars and they were really into it and uh, they said to me, you got 10 minutes before you're on, we're running late, sorry about this, you got 10 minutes and uh, I just said to God, the father, I said, well, this is not what I was expecting, is this going to be appropriate what I, you've given me to share? And I said, then I just said, dad, it's your problem, you've sent me here, you do it, it's your message and it was just beautiful to watch. And why I'm sharing that with you this morning is this, that uh, at the end of the, that retreat, they had encounter time. And you would, would you believe, they were just 
dozens of these guys stepped forward because of a new encounter of the love of God and how powerful it is. As I saw these men walk forward, I decided to remain seated and let the leaders do the ministry. But they walked over to me and said, Raleigh, would you get up? We need you. Come on out here and help us minister to these men. And it was just amazing to watch. I have, you know, it's got to be one of those touches of joy and excitement that I probably haven't seen so powerful in a group of men in probably my whole life of ministry. And uh, it was interesting that driving back then, back to Newcastle, the, the, the minister said to me, Rolly, I want to tell you about an encounter I had with one of the guys there this afternoon. He said, this guy's married. He's got two children. He says, I've been in our church for a few years now. He says, but this guy, you would never know where he was. You wouldn't know whether he was a Christian or not. He, he never really said anything. He does go to a, a home group during the week, but he, he just sort of never reveals anything about himself. And when I saw him come forward at that encounter time, I thought, oh, what's this guy going to say? And uh, he walked up to him, and, and the, this minister said, yes, what were you wanting to share with me? How do you want me to pray for you? He said, I want to tell you that in this time of this retreat, the passion for God has just come on me. I have a passion for God I've never had in all my time in church. And he said, I just want to come forward and tell you that when I go back to church on Sunday morning, I'm going to, I just have a passion for the body of Christ. I just have a passion to go and love everybody in the church like I've never had. And the minister was saying to me, I could have fallen over. I've never known this guy ever to make any sound that was positive. Never ever had any confidence. Never had any understanding of what the Christian faith was really all about. He just went along with it all. And I'm just wondering today, as you and I come here today, as I think about that young man, that young man in his 30s, for the first time had a real passion about his God, had a real passion about being part of a body of Christ and of a community. And what a privilege it was on that Sunday morning for myself and Betty to be there and preach in their church in the middle of Newcastle. If you know Newcastle at all, I think it's a dreary-looking joint. You know, I often say I'd never want to live here. But, of course, when you drive through that main section of the old part of Newcastle, it does look that way, but there are beautiful areas of Newcastle. But, you know, to be with that little church of 400 people that morning and, and to see the love of Christ, to see what God's doing across his church in the world and the passion and love that they had for one another touched our hearts as we shared with them. Well, I want to say to you, it's a great day to be alive today. And it's a great day that you've come today with a passion to run towards your God, your dad, and kiss him. It's a great day today that you've come here because you have a passion, one for another. You see, the perfect love casts out all the fear, all the shame, and all the guilt. I've just read a book called Bo's Cafe. Anyone ever heard of it? Here, yeah, Bo's Cafe. Fiction story. But it's an amazing story. And it's a story about a, a man and wife in marriage and, and how they had so much conflict with one another. And the whole story goes through where he had to learn that shame and guilt and fear drives us to do weird and strange things. We control our spouses by anger. We control our spouses by the control freak mechanisms that we use. And it's an amazing story to read. And uh, 
I just want to say to you today, when you enter into the love of God, then shame is dealt with, guilt is dealt with, fear is dealt with. And how beautiful it is when you and I are released to be that man and woman that we were created to be in our uniqueness. You know, we are people not puffed up. We are people in Christ who are filled up. And I love that. It's not a matter of faking it till you're making it. It's not like a lot of Christians I meet who just sort of think, well, it's all about a pie in the sky when I die. But no, for you and I, we need to be sitting here today and saying, this is where there's steak on my plate while I wait. This is where life is, so rich in him. How beautiful. And I, I'm talking to you this morning, not because I'm here to perform. I'm here to tell you what's real. And the fakeness of our world will continue to send you down many bypass meadows. The materialism of our Aussie culture will send you off into all sorts of things. The hope that the world promises you will be often there to drag you away from that fullness. But I want to tell you today, you and I need to be people who are full up. We're full up with the love of God. We are so secure as children of God that we live with the joy of God's love driving us day by day. I don't know of any power in the Christian faith uh, that is like the power of God's love to break across a congregation, to break across 70 men in, in a group at Atali Bible College, where it breaks them down, where I had men leaving from the meetings to ring their wires to tell them how much they loved them, where they, when the meetings were finished, to ring up every one of their children and tell their children how much they loved them. When we become a people driven by love, we become a people fulfilled and complete. And how beautiful it is. We live with excitement of living in change. I see so many Christians are fearful of change. But don't be. Realize that there's only one that doesn't change. That's God himself. But you and I are people who can handle change. Because we're loved and we're secure. And how beautiful it is. I listen to the words of John 6.35. Where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. What amazing life. What amazing life that I am being fed daily by the bread of life. You and I are being fed daily by that bread of life. You know, I, I get so discouraged and hurt when I see so many Christian groups who seem to be putting the Christian down and yet trying to elevate God at the expense of that. And that's not the way God wanted. When I read, um, second, when I read uh, 2 Corinthians 15, I see Paul saying, this is what I've done with my life. This is how I've moved in life. Because God has been present in my life. And God has brought this glorious reality through my life into the world. We are to be men and women who don't put ourselves down. Because self-depreciation is not humility. It is just negative stuff in Christianity. We are men and women who can stand tall. We can stand tall above the moral fog of this world. We can stand tall as men and women who know that we are secure in the Father. And the world can throw whatever it likes at us. For great is he that's in us than he that's in the world. You know what amazing life. I thank God for it. And I thank God for all the years that he has sustained me 
since in my late teens, having come from a dysfunctional background, I came to the knowledge of the wonder of Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk every day in the power of the Lord, says Romans 8 verse 1. And I just want to say as I look at every one of your faces this morning, am I looking at people who are confident? Confident not in who you are, but in the God who has chosen to work through you. That his glory will shine through your life. And I love that um, John 17. And I just want to read a few of those verses to you as I just think about that this morning. Where Jesus says very clearly, and he's our brother. He's the one in whom we can see the example that we are to follow. And Jesus says this in a Roman, sorry, uh, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory, my dad, on earth, by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Christ came. Of himself, he says in John 5, 19, he could do nothing. But he only did what he saw his dad do. He only did what he heard his father say. He lived in that vibrant day-to-day -day relationship with him. And so you and I, as we read this John 17, Jesus talks about the fact, I brought you glory, my dad, on earth by completing the work you gave me to, to do. But then I come down to the latter part of John 17, where it says very clearly, I have given them the glory. Now listen to that carefully. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that amazing? I have given them your glory, Father. Right now, whether you want to feel that way or not, the reality is the moment you become a child of God, God begins to pour his glory through you and I. And how beautiful is that glory? And I just want to share another passage with you too from 2 Corinthians 3 this morning, to help you to realize where God wants you to be anchored. In 2 Corinthians verse 3, we read these words, verse 16 and 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hey, come on, Christians. You're sitting here listening to Paul preaching, giving you a hard time. Are you feeling free this morning? Or are you being threatened? I had one person go out from a, a ministry I had last Sunday and they said, I, I, I'm just fearful. I said, Did, was there something I said that created that? Because God is not here to drive you to fearsomeness. He's driving you to freedom. And every one of you in Christ, you're the only people who walk this earth who have true freedom. And do you recognize it? How beautiful is that freedom? And let me keep reading that, that little passage to you. It says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is a spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect, guess what you and I are reflecting to the world? The glory of God. 
you might say, oh, 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 I should have washed my face this morning. I, I, I better polish up a little bit. I'm not doing shining too well. Listen, my beloved, don't, it's not what you do. It's a work of God working through you that he enables you to allow his glory to touch this world. The world is not here and owes you a living. You're here to give to the world that which is hungry and thirsty, just like Nathan read to you from Isaiah 55. That, you know, come you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Come and buy that which doesn't cost you material things. But it's that which is given freely to you by a God who loves you immensely. And so let me keep reading that little passage. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. It's not something you do. It's God releasing his glory through us to the world. And it goes on. Listen to it. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, sometimes it's like people say that uh, you don't need to know more of the Scripture to make you some more spiritual character. What you need to do is to take hold of the Scriptures you already know and own them and let them drive home the beauty of who you are in Christ. And that's what we're meant to do. And so, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so today, it's my privilege to have just come here today to see many faces I don't know since I was last here. To know that you're hungry. To know that you are realizing who you are in Christ. That you are the answer to the world. And I love it. I remember being at that Newcastle retreat when I finished on the Friday night. We were supposed to finish at 9, all lights out at 11 o'clock. Would you believe I was still there at 20 to 11, ministering to guys as I hunger for the reality that I haven't taken hold of before. And I had two young men standing near the lectern because I drifted away from there, ministering to a few of the guys. And I come back to these two guys and said, so where does a father fit into your life? And they both looked at me and they said, well, it hasn't been a good journey. And I said, well, you two better start talking. And there were two guys in their mid-twenties, and they were beautiful young men. I really, you look at them, they're so wholesome. And uh, they began to share... And they said, we really need to get hold of the things you've been talking about. And we entered into the depths of the things of God together. And how beautiful it was when about three weeks after that event, I just happened to ring one of those young men. I rang not the man, but his father, who's, who lives in New South Wales. He said, Rolly, I want to thank you for what's happened in my son's life. I want to thank you that his mate that day at that conference got hold of the book that you had and he read it and it made such a profound impact on him that he, read, he gave it to my son. And my son read it and made such a profound impact on him. And then he gave it to me and I, boy, Roly, I haven't read anything like this for, for a long, long time. It's touching my life. All in three weeks after I had left, that young man had given it to his son. The son had given it to his dad. 
and the wonder, the freedom of, of Christ was breaking out. We lack the confidence that we, God has given us to have as we journey as men and women complete in the gospel. We all have a need for significance, every one of us. And besides survival, it's the strongest drive we have. Have you thought about that? We all need significance. I look back on my life, and when this world tells me I had low self-esteem, that was their jargon. When it tells another person you've got high self-esteem, that's just the world's jargon. But it's when you have true significance that counts. It's knowing who you are. And I had a woman in, in a Bible teaching series this year when uh, she'd gone through uh, depression for something like 20-something years. And uh, she, we were sharing together one day. And I said, do you realize that because you're a child of the Father, you have great significance? You don't have low self-esteem. You don't have high self-esteem. You have that richness of being a child of God. And what I'm trying to drive you to today is ask you the question, do you know your significance? Every one of you, no matter who you are today, you are very significant people. You are very precious. Nobody else can be you, mate. Nobody else. And you're just someone unique that the Father looks on and he just loves into your eyes. And he says, you're my son. You're a precious man. And I want you to be hearing that, every one of you here. He's looking at you and he's saying, you're my son. You're my precious one. I created no one else like you. You're unique. You're being given unique giftings. You've been given unique creativeness. You've been given just a richness to be the man or woman that you are, that I have made you to be. We need to know that our life matters. We're not just here by chance. We're not here by accident. We are who we are because God created us in his image. And in the image of God, he created us. How beautiful is that? So I just want to just start hitting you with a few questions. If someone lands with you and says to you, who are you? Who are you? What if someone says to you, what are you doing here on planet Earth? What's your purpose? I want to tell you that you are God's crowning achievement. You are God's beautiful creation. You are unique and he loves you so beautifully. Do you realize that? Don't let the world with its stuff, with its dust of death, choke your throat. But let you and I see who you are. You're God's crowning achievement. You're his masterpiece. This is not exaggerating it. We've got to give up this Christianity that has to put us down to somehow other lift God up. God's already lifted up. He doesn't put his kids down. He lifts them back up so that we might share the same glory that Jesus had and be able to express it to the world. How beautiful. You know the word of God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are also purposefully made. How beautiful is that? You are here for a reason. You might not know the reason. I never know oftentimes some days, some weeks, just what this week's going to be all about. But I know my dad has gone before me. I remember one man sharing with me how he had this uh, number of people working under him. He didn't have the money to pay his men on that Friday, and it was already Thursday, and uh, he was crying out to God, and, and uh, would you believe, you know the story, next morning there was a, an envelope on his desk with the exact money he had to pay his men with, and the strange thing was, it was a church 
who had given this money to this Christian work and it was a committee who made the decision two weeks before took the treasurer another week to sign the check and get it countersigned and then eventually arrived on his desk two weeks before dad was on the job two weeks before it was already being organized before that guy ever got on his knees and prayed do you realize that God is on your case you were so purposefully made you are here for a reason you're here to bear God's image and establish his heavenly kingdom on earth you are a co-creator with Christ in a beautiful I don't know, my son seems to have a lot more creativity than I've got. But, uh, you know, and I've never really been what you call a very creative character. And yet now, I'm, I'm enjoying looking at even my creativeness, which I used to always put myself down about. Now I see that in every one of you, I'd love to know you like my dad knows you, because he knows the creativeness he's put in you. You're a beautiful young man. Use that creativeness. Don't ever let anyone put you down. You, God has given us co-leadership with him. We are here to give leadership to the world. It might be just in a quiet way. I spoke to a man recently whose his mum had the great burden to go on the mission field. And you know what happened to her? She never went. You know, because she had all these boys that were born to her and they became a mission field. And every one of those boys except one is in full-time ministry in the, around the world. And the other is a key man in the business world with his Christian faith burning bright. Her mission field was right there, the humble place of being a mother to her boys and training them up in godliness. It doesn't have to be where all the bright lights are. It can be wherever God places you and I. You know, God called us to dance and step with the Trinity embracing those around you and bringing them into the circle where the family of God loves one another. For us to rejoice in one another in this church here at the project, to live in harmony with one another, the whole of scripture, you just read John 17 for yourself, and it says that they may be one even as we are one. You know, the world looks for the greatest thing that the world is hungering for, and that's for intimacy. The world is looking for an authentic group of people who know how to love each other, who know how to love the unlovely, who know how to love the enemies, who are so secure in themselves they can get a kick in the teeth and yet keep loving somebody. That's the sort of world that this world is hungering and looking for. And in the vast expanse of this universe, with its six billion people, you really matter. You are terribly significant. You are loved beyond comprehension. And I love that in the Word of God, that the love of God is so profound, it passes any human knowledge. It is so powerful. You are precious beyond words. You are valued beyond measure. Let me ask you some questions and try to bring all this together. I want to just ask you a simple thing. Is it any fun being a Christian? Come on. You know, is it all dead serious stuff? You know, sometimes I get the idea that seriousness makes a good Christian. It's a fake. It's not true. You know, the most serious Christians around are not fun to live with. You know, we've got to be people who know what it is to live life and to know life abundantly. You just heard Nathan sharing how precious it was to be on holidays with his girls and to be able to romp around with them, to go to McDonald's, 
to do things. This is life abundantly. It may be in the little things. It may not be the sensational. But the Christian life you live, is it fun living it? Is it fun serving your God? Is it fun doing the things that you're doing as a Christian? Is it any fun? What I'm really asking you is this. Do you love it? Is it your passion? Do you get joy from it? Does it give you life? And does it give life to those around you? The Christian life is not about living under the law. It's about living out of love. Listen to these beautiful words of Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. And I pray that you, you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses human knowledge. If you're going to sit here and say, when I can understand love, then I'm going to accept it probably. No, no, no. The love that God gives to you and I is a love that surpasses knowledge. That you, listen to the final part of Ephesians 3, 17 19, when this love consumes you and I, a love that you will never ever fully comprehend, it'll just keep breaking out on you over and over and over again. And listen to the final words of verse 19. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When do I get filled to all the fullness of God? When I know all my theology? When I've learnt the Westminster Confession off by heart? Or whatever it might be? Or the Heidelberg Catechism or whatever? When do I become full to the fullness of God? When the love of God consumes me. When the love of God has given me significance and worth and tells me who I really am. It's not about living under law. It's about living out of love. Everyone in Christ, if you're in Christ today, I just want to remind you, you all carry the same DNA, every one of you. Every one of you who've named Jesus and have walked through that door of grace where justification has brought you in as a child of God, Every one of you here today is in that beautiful position where the DNA message defines you. How beautiful. So don't let the average Christian confuse you because the average Christian doesn't understand their DNA. But I hope and pray in, project, in this project church that you will have a clear understanding of your significance. You'll have a, you will not devalue yourself. You'll be men and women and young people who will know how to stand tall and know your significance and know that your Father is there at work. And you know the Word of God says, I command you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, we are mad crazy, the church, the way it's going around trying to find techniques to reach the world. I want to tell you, the Bible tells me only one thing. They will know that you are Christians by your love one for another. They will be able to identify who you are by the way that you love God and you love one another. When you're being transformed in the very image of Christ, we're also called by God to reflect the intense passion and fervency in our love of God. John says this in 1 John 4:15 in the message, Everyone 
who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continually in an intimate relationship with God. Wow. Let me read that again. It comes from the message paraphrase. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continually in an intimate relationship with God. I confess Jesus, but I tell you what, when I was saved from my sin, he didn't save me just to be saved from my sin. He saved me to take me back to relationship with God. And that's what life's all about. That's what life is all about in marriage. It's what it's all about in this world. It's being taken back to the richness that relationship is a burning issue of the day. The inner depths of God's heart cries out for intimate fellowship with the deepest places in the hearts of his children. We were designed and fashioned for intimate relationship not only with God, but also with human beings. And how often, even in our marriages, we don't trust each other like we should. Even in our marriages, we don't love each other like we should because we've got to ask that love of God to flow over us. And I remember one man who was at that conference in Newcastle who got up to share his testimony first at the final encounter moments of that meeting. He says, I want to just get up here and share with you. I was sitting, I've known Jesus for years, but I was sitting here when Raleigh was talking this morning, and all of a sudden it was like a wave of an ocean came over me. He said, and it just flooded me. And there was a guy who I disliked for years. All of a sudden I'm sitting there feeling a love for him. And then all of a sudden I started to think, I can't wait to get home. As a matter of fact, he got out quickly and rang his wife and told her how much he loved her. And then he said, I can't wait to get to church in the morning because I haven't loved people like I should have loved them. And he said, I can't wait to get to work on Monday morning, which is not me. I'm a Garfield to the nth degree. He says, Monday is a bad day for me. He says, but now I've been a real bugger at work, he says. I have just gone and I've suffered those guys at work. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and the love of God has just come over me. I can't wait to get there and appreciate those men that I have to work with. And I'm sitting there listening to this testimony and I think, oh my God, you're beautiful. That's what life's all about. When the love of God is released in your life and mine. Wow, in 1 John 2, 6 it says, anyone who claims to be intimate with God, it says in the message in 1 John 2, 6, or to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. How beautiful is that? I want to give you just a few final quotes this morning. Quotes that really, really struck me so amazing that will help us hopefully just bring this all together for you. Some of you have heard about Moore College in Sydney, a great institution that really training men and women for the work of the gospel all over the world. But would you believe um, that Reverend Dr. Mark Thompson, I know Mark, he's a principal there, and he wrote these comments just in his latest Moore magazine. Listen to this. The Christian faith, at its very heart, trust in the God who has made himself known in Jesus Christ, his Son and our Saviour and Lord. It's not simply a matter of gaining some additional knowledge nor is it simply a matter of assenting to certain truths. Of course, it does involve knowing and acknowledging the truth, but it's at its heart something more than this. Some of the great Christians of the past, 
used to speak of the difference between understanding God as a father of all and understanding God as our father or my father. It's a difference between knowing that Christ came to rescue sinners and knowing that Christ came to rescue me. And then he gives this quote of, from our old Swiss reformer, John Calvin, of all people. Listen to what John Calvin, the great Swiss reformer, said so many years ago. Faith is the assurance that no matter what happens around you, the face of your heavenly Father is turned towards you in love. Can you hear that? Does it resonate within you? Faith is the assurance that no matter what happens around you, no matter whether you're having a good day or one of those bad days, the face of your heavenly Father is turned towards you in love. And such faith can only be the work of God's own spirit in the human heart. And you know, as I leave those thoughts with you today, I want you to realize that even that great Swiss reformer of 500 years ago said faith is assured that no matter what happens around you, the face of your heavenly Father is turned towards you in love. Wow. And uh, a man called Wayne Jacobson says this. And when he's talking about worship, worship is not singing in a service. Worship is offering our hearts to live in the Father's love. Anything less twists worship into an exercise for our own amusement. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. It's not singing in a service. Worship is offering our hearts to live in the Father's love. Anything less twists worship into an exercise for our own amusement. Wow, I love that. All I pray for you as we close, that you will know how rich and precious and significant you are. You'll realize that there's not another character like you in this earth. You might say, thank God for that, there's only one of me. But, uh, <laughs> but that's not true. That's not the right way to see it. You are unique. You are very special and you're very precious. And I thank God for that. That every one of you have that uniqueness. And I just want to close with a borrowed prayer from Mother Teresa. I want you just to sit quietly. It's a little bit longer than a, just a few lines. But I think it's a way that we can just bring it all to a close and just be saying quietly, Amen. I pray as we go through this. This is from God himself. I know you through and through. I know everything about you. The very hairs of your head I have numbered. Nothing in your life is unimportant to me. I have followed you through the years and I have always loved you even in your wanderings. I know every one of your problems. I know your needs and your worries. And yes, I know all your sins. But I tell you again that I love you. Not for what you have or haven't done. I, lo I, I love you for you. For the beauty and dignity my Father gave you by creating you in his own image. It's a dignity you have often forgotten. A beauty you have tarnished by sin. But I love you as you are. And I've shed my blood to win you back if you only ask me with faith. My grace will touch all that needs changing in your life. I will give you the strength to free yourself from sin and all its destructive power. I know what's in your heart. I know your loneliness. I know all the hurts that you're experiencing. I know the rejections, the judgments, 
the humiliations. I carried it all before you. I carried it all for you so you might share my strength and victory. I know especially your need for love, how you're thirsting to be loved and cherished, but how often have you thirsted in vain, seeking that love selfishly, striving to fill the, emphasis inside, the emptiness inside you with passing pleasures and ending with even more pain. Do you thirst for love? Come to me, all you who thirst, says John 7.37. I will satisfy you and fill you. Do you thirst to be cherished? I cherish you more than you can imagine, to the point of dying on a cross for you, because I cannot live without you. I thirst for you. Yes, that's the only way to even begin to describe my love for you. I thirst for you. I thirst to love and to be loved by you. And that's how precious you are to me. I thirst for you. Come to me and I will fill your heart and heal your wounds. If you feel unimportant in the eyes of the world, that doesn't matter one iota. For me, there's no one any more important in the entire world than you. I thirst for you. Open to me. Come to me. Thirst for me. Give me your life. And I'll prove you to you how important you are to my heart. No matter how far you may wander, no matter how often you forget me, no matter how many crosses you may bear in this life, there's one thing I want you to remember always, one thing that will never change. I thirst for you, just as you are. You don't need to change to believe in my love. It will be your belief in my love that will change you. You forget me, and yet I'm seeking you every moment of the day. I'm standing at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. Do you find this hard to believe? Then look at the cross. Look at my heart. That was pierced for you. Have you not understood my cross? Then listen again to the words I spoke there, for they tell you clearly why I enjoyed it all this for you. I thirst, John 19, 28. Yes, I thirst for you. As the rest of the psalm verse which I was praying says of me, I look for love and I found none. Psalm 69, 20. All your life, I've been looking for your love. I've never stopped seeking to love and be loved by you. You've tried many other things in your search for happiness. Why not try opening your heart to me right now, more than you ever have before? Whenever you do open the door of your heart, whenever you come close enough, you'll not hear me saying, you will, sorry, you will hear me say to you again and again, not in mere human words, but in the spirit. No matter what you've done, I love you for your own sake. Come to me with your misery and your sins, with your troubles and your needs, with all your longing to be loved. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Open to me, says Jesus, for I thirst for you, for I thirst for you.